0: This is a Federal News Network podcast.
1: A published report cites Labor Department records showing the U.S. Postal Service has regularly shortchanged hourly employees to the tune of nearly $700,000 in back pay. According to my next guest, that's just the tip of the iceberg. Alexia Fernandez-Campbell is a reporter at the Center for Public Integrity, and she joins me now with the rest of the story. Ms. Fernandez-Campbell, good to have you on.
0: It's great to be here.
1: All right. Tell us what you found here with respect to the Postal Service altering time cards put in by letter carriers who had to work overtime just because they have to work overtime.
0: Yes, it was really interesting because I got the Department of Labor data and I was kind of struck because USPS was one of the employers that had the most violations. So I thought, you know, this might be a story to look into. And then so I started talking to letter carriers. I was able to get my hands on arbitration records showing that Yeah, this is like a really widespread practice and it seemed like the common thread here was that supervisors would just change time cards to show letter carriers working fewer hours. Many letter carriers didn't know about it. Some did and they would try to fight it and file grievances. And even when they did file grievances, they might get their money back, but the supervisors just kept doing it and they wouldn't get punished.
1: I guess the question then arises, do carriers have the right to simply use overtime because they need to finish their work? Or is there some mechanism maybe that they have to check in advance for getting overtime?
0: Yeah, that's a good question because... Under federal law, if they're working overtime, they have to get paid for it. But yeah, USPS has precarious financial problems. So what's happening is USPS does not want to spend on overtime because it's so expensive. It's time and a half, but they don't have enough letter carriers. You know, right now they're delivering packages for Amazon and during the pandemic that skyrocketed because everyone was ordering online. So now letter carriers are like, we can't finish our routes within eight hours. It's impossible. So we have to work overtime. So they're stuck in this situation where their supervisors want them to finish their routes. But it takes so long that they need to do it with overtime, so they have to take overtime. But yeah, they're supposed to get approval, but they also, their supervisors just want them to finish their routes.
1: So it sounds like the supervisors are also in some sort of a pinch, too, because they have to control the overtime costs. They're also responsible for the completion of the work in a shift. So it sounds like they're a little bit squeezed here, too.
0: Yeah, it's like a really, really terrible situation because, like, USPS leadership is saying, we don't want you to keep spending billions of dollars on overtime. And supervisors, they're under a lot of pressure and like their annual raises, bonuses all depend on keeping these overtime costs down. So that's kind of what letter carriers think is pushing supervisors to start basically stealing their money.
1: Yeah, I guess you get what you incentivize is the old story. So the supervisors then were doing what? Someone put in for, say, 46 hours in a week or something, Mm -hmm. and the supervisors only wanted to pay them 40. What did they do? Did they alter the time card? Or is this an electronic system? How does this all work mechanically?
0: The way it works is, you know, the mail carriers, they have these badges that they swipe when they clock in, when they like go out on their route, when they finish their route, when they finish other tasks, and then when they leave at the day, they clock out again. So from what I saw from records and interviews, there were different ways that this would happen. The most common was, like you just said, that supervisors will go in there and just delete hours to show them either working 40 hours only, or maybe just they'll shave off a few hours of overtime, maybe not all of them, but anything just to keep the the cost low. Other times they would just clock out carriers while they're out still on their route. So they could actually go into the system and just clock them out. And many times letter carriers weren't aware of that. And then another situation was that some supervisors were just telling mail carriers, Hey, if you're going to stay out past 6 PM, which is when everyone's supposed to be back, then you need to clock yourself out and keep working. So some of it was very obvious and direct and other was like kind of sneaky.
1: We we're speaking with Alexia Fernandez Campbell. She's a reporter at the Center for Public Integrity. Now, the labor department data that you looked at showed 1,150 cases to the tune of as we mentioned at the top nearly $700,000, but you found that one even those cases weren't all resolved in a way that looks fair. But that was only part of the problem. So tell us more about what happened with the Labor Department grievances. And then what else you found that went beyond those 1150 cases,
0: the Labor Department violations, which it was something I didn't realize before. But so let's say an employee files a complaint with the Labor Department say, hey, for example, USPS owes me this much money. Labor department will investigate. And then supposedly at the very least labor department, if they find it's like actually did happen, then the employer is supposed to pay at least pay back the money. And what happens is the labor department negotiates with the agency, at least with USPS, they're doing this, they're negotiating it so that the USPS only pays back like half of it, which doesn't make sense to me, because if by law, you're supposed to pay employees for all their hours, I don't understand why the labor department is negotiating a, a lower amount. So that's what was happening.
1: Yeah, Interesting. And then there is the issue of the association of letter carriers, the union. What has that union done to intervene here? Can they do anything about this?
0: So I think the union has a lot of power here. I was surprised that the union was not when I at least the top leaders were not very forthcoming. They did not want to talk about this. There are three different postal worker unions. And no one wanted to talk about this. So I ended up having to talk to like lower level union, you know, like union stewards. And so what happens is that, you know, these union stewards, they've been finding a lot of these time card changes and they've been taking these cases to arbitration and, you know, they'll fight it and they'll say, look, you know, because arbitration is part of their contract, they're supposed to fight this, in you know, in arbitration. So they'll say, look, these supervisors are changing all these time cards. So the arbitrator will say, yes, that's so the common thing was arbitrator would say, yes, this is widespread wage theft. OK, so you need to stop doing this USPS. And then the union will be like, yeah, but they haven't even fired these supervisors or disciplined them in any way. We want more than just back pay and a promise that it won't happen again. And the arbitrator's are like, I'm sorry, under the contract, we can't order the SPS to discipline their employees. So that's how the supervisors keep getting away with it.
1: Right, so the arbitrator can issue a finding, but they don't really have an enforcement mechanism.
0: Exactly, exactly.
1: And what did the Postal Service itself tell you when you asked them about this? They must have said something.
0: Well, at first they didn't respond to me. And I was like, this is very strange because usually, you know, at least an agency will release a comment. So I kept following up and I was like, okay, I think you really should at least say something. And then USPS is like, okay, we're going to get back to you. They didn't answer all my questions, but they did release a statement saying that they take these kinds of allegations of time card changes very seriously. So acknowledge that, you know, obviously this is happening. And that the messaging from USPS leadership has always been to supervisors that you cannot do that. You cannot change time cards without like, you know, having a legit reason that's approved by the letter carriers. And they said that they specifically say that. So I guess they are kind of saying it's not leadership's fault.
1: All right. And what has the reaction been outside of the Postal Service and the arbitrators and the union? Have you gotten any reaction, say, from the Hill or any other quarters so far?
0: You know, it's interesting because usually I do with these kinds of stories, I'll get reaction from everyone, whatever agency I'm writing about. But in this case, I actually got so much response from letter carriers themselves. Like I've never gotten so much response to a stories, uh, mail carriers all across the country telling me, oh, my goodness, I didn't realize that or I thought I was alone. I thought this was just happening to me. I thought I was going crazy or they're saying this has been happening for like 30 years or re- even retired mail carriers saying I had to fight so much. So honestly, like I've been getting more response from within usps i haven't really at least not that i know of i heard of much response outside
1: and any follow-up plans that you've got
0: yeah so what, one thing i want to look into is like the bonus system because everyone all the mail carriers tell me they're like yeah like our supervisors are making tons of money off these bonuses that they get for keeping overtime costs low for keeping like our routes to run on time and they're like so in a way they're like really benefiting from wage theft so uh, you know i haven't been able to confirm those reports because it's all been like word of mouth. So I'm going to look into see if there's some way I can show what supervisors are getting out of all this.
1: Yeah, sounds like almost robbing Paul to pay Peter.
0: Exactly, yeah.
1: All right. Alexia Fernandez-Campbell is a reporter with the Center for Public Integrity. Thanks so much for joining me.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: We'll post this interview along with a link to her report at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Subscribe to the Federal Drive at Podcast One or wherever you get your shows.